the R9 fringe, Pizzagate, the special one, and so much more. Welcome to Naughty Footy, a celebration of our favourite decade of football. Yo people, what's good? I'm Yusuf. I'm Darnell. I'm Louis. Welcome to episode 3 of the Naughty Footy Podcast. Jeez! <laughs> Pop all the balloons. Thank you, thank you fans. So, listeners, today you're going to be earing about England's golden generation. Loose. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I'm not sure about that one, bro. I think it's going to go downhill for the rest of the pod. <laughs> Do you know what? Yeah, if we were talking like I don't know if it was like Jamaica's golden generation, that earring, but not not fucking England, bro. Yeah, earring golden. You know, like earrings can be gold. Actually, you know what? I should make you lot start rating them out of ten. What do you rate today's yeah, one out of ten? Today's pond. This might be bottom out of all the three you've done. So I'm gonna go four. I still not too bad, you know. Four out of ten. Three, Would you go three. Three and a half. All right. So, what no about so the last pod was when I was when we did the best XI, and I said how exciting. It's that was so good. bad that it's good. <laughs> no, that was good. I, I, I thought I talked to. I give that eight out of ten. Yeah, yeah. I give it a seven. All right. Cool. Um, the one before that, I said something about us tackling the best Premier League champions. Yeah, seven again. So I'm doing all right. Middle of the road, six. And then on the, was it? Oh, I can't, I'm getting them all mixed up, but one of them as well, I said, I, I quoted the Jay Z lyric, said, Thank you, thank you, you're far too kind. That's not even really a pun. Yeah, that's not, that's not that's really that's a pun. related. We had this chat already. Not even, I mean, I mean that's that a, a pun, song it? from the decade. It's not a pun and it's not related to football at all. I, I that's like a right one time. out of ten. That's like one out of ten. All right, cool, cool. So I might need to find new panelists. <laughs> All right, so so how, how are we doing? So actually, on the last podcast, I don't actually think I asked you, Luke. I think I said how you look doing, and Darnell just spoke, and I, I didn't actually ask you how how you've been keeping. So so what's been good? <laughs> yeah, no, I'm all right, mate. Um, just moved, as as you know, I think so. I've been busy with that, which is weird yeah. in in lockdown. Just keeping busy, really. Looking forward to footy coming back and getting back to some sort of normality. But yeah, other than that, used to lockdown ish. Now we're sort of coming towards the other side of it. So, yeah, not bad, not bad. Yeah, lockdown's the new normal now, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, for real. I feel like we were just going to rotate. week. You, one week you ask me, next week you ask Louis. Is that how it goes? <laughs> yeah, that might be better, you know. <laughs> so I don't think I care about both of you that much. Not <laughs> Is anyone ever going to ask her how you are? Maybe, maybe yeah, in that's, the that's true, you know. No one's actually ever asked me since we started. Nah, fuck um. you, mate. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Cool. Uh, you know, I ask you, Darnell. How you do- well, I'm really only asking you, Darnell, just because I want to update on the three things that we've been checking up on you. No movement there. No movement there. Just, uh, just all three of them, innit? That. It's just. What are the three things again? <laughs> uh, cheeks, uh, pub, and I don't even know, bro. Football. Or Arsenal, you're oh yeah, football, <laughs> but it's coming back in it, so it's it's, it's, it's not. I don't, I don't even miss it no more. 
what's what's what I've been thinking about is that probably there's quite a few people that are probably completely unaware what we're talking about when we say cheeks. <laughs> I probably made it. A let bit let more them. <laughs> let, just let them. Let them guess in it. <laughs> All right, we'll leave it at that. All right. So in the news recently, it'd be, it'd be ridiculous to ignore, especially as we're a podcast with three black males. There's been a lot of talk recently, and it's it's come to the forefront racism in well obviously it all kicked off from the i was gonna say death but the murder of george floyd in in america and we've seen protests over here in the uk as well so yeah obviously this isn't an issue just restricted to to society and police brutality we've seen it over these shores in a number of circumstances including football And, and and football i think i don't know about you guys but the last maybe three, four, five years, it really seems to have crept back in. And I don't really remember it being an issue when, or during the noughties or when I was growing up. I don't know whether that's because I was young um, or maybe like the camera phones weren't as visible and we couldn't record all these incidents, but it, it does seem to have picked up um, in the tens. What are your guys' thoughts on not just racism in football, but just the Black Lives Matter protests generally or, or racism? I think, on your point about it not being as prevalent in the noughties, I think part of that is, like you said, it's the cameras. And, and we're not even talking about like people's camera phones in the stadiums. It's, it's to do with even the Sky Sports, BT Sport. We've got so many different camera angles now that <clears throat> loads of stuff gets picked up that probably wasn't picked up back in the day. But um, I think when we talk about the racism in football discussion, what tends to happen is that it, it tends to be this thing of like, oh, it's a football issue, it's a football issue. Like, we we sort of neglect the fact that it's a societal issue. And when you actually think about it, football is one of the most meritocratic meritocratic systems that there is because if you're good enough, you play. Do do you know what I mean? The only time it then becomes a little bit of an issue is maybe if you go into sort of managerial sense. So football is actually ahead of society in general when it comes to, like, being rewarded for 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 what you are as a footballer and your ability to do something as opposed to um the color of your skin so i think so that's definitely um something that needs to change i guess when we're talking about it because it's almost like oh it's those working class yobs that shout racist abuse but really racism happens in all forms in society and and there's bigger issues than than um you know someone shouting the odd thing at a football match, which is obviously really bad, but you know, there's there's other things that people have have gone out to um to protest. Yeah, I completely agree. But you 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 raised a couple of good points there as well, particularly about the meritocracy that exists within football. I think it's around twenty five percent of British or English born footballers are black, and I think of the UK population, we're still only about three or four percent. So, so I think a lot of black youngsters especially because most of most black people are working class still in this country you must recognize that football is a way out because it's meritocratic it doesn't matter that we're black as long as we're good enough in this field um, we'll get the opportunities yeah i think the the meritocracy is, is a completely valid point and it, it, it kind of goes to show that um when the playing field is level you know everyone plays with the same ball the goals are the same size for everyone how it shines through you know you, you can give all sorts of stats around how black players excel in football. And I, I think that's a reflection of when we're 
able to, which we will get there if we carry on to level the playing field in society, then achievements will sort of follow the same way. I definitely agree with the point that I, I don't think racism is necessarily getting worse in the tens. Like I think Will Smith said, racism ain't getting worse, it's getting filmed. You know, <laughs> these things are just, they're just coming, they're coming to light. And I think maybe players now feel that they're able to challenge it more, to say more. You know, players feel that their voice is going to be heard. They feel they've got less to lose. They feel they're maybe being supported more by their colleagues and their clubs to to not put up with things. I think that's a massive part of why these things are being challenged more. But I think another key point that that is important when you look at football, when you look at wider society of sort of the more subtle racism, the more subtle yeah. preconceived notions that maybe when people sort of say in ignorance, oh, well, I've never experienced, I've, I've never seen, you know, white people who maybe don't have an understanding. I've never seen this directly. I've never, I've never experienced racism because, you know, it's not all about calling, being called the N-word and monkey chants and all that. It's subtle things, subtle prejudices. So like, I think talking about football players, often white players are, you know, they're artists and they're genius and they're wizards and they're all this. Yeah. When you're a black player, they're all, they're all powerful and energy yeah, and pay some pace, power. Pay some <laughs> yeah. power. And, and that's, that's, that's a subtle thing that maybe, you know, commentators and pundits on the on you know it's not it's not overt but these things are subtle undertones of how things are received and, and those kind of things probably feed into why there aren't many black managers because black players aren't viewed as intelligence or creatives on the pitch they're, they're viewed as for their sort of raw strength and those kind of things and, and these things are just as important as the overt things if we're going to get to the point where we all feel we need to be in football and society of being better and level in the playing field and getting to the point we need to be. Yeah, completely agree. And and yeah, you, I know Darnell raised it first, but again, you, you talked about an important issue, which is black um, people being in coaching and manage, managerial positions. And, and obviously in those positions, given where we are in numbers in terms of players on the pitch, it's quite disappointing the number of black managers and coaches and a lot of them don't seem to be getting the opportunities that their white managers can have been afforded. I, I don't want to single out people, um, but particularly when you look at someone like Sol Campbell, like one of the best centre backs of his generation, is having to to plead with the chairmans of, of League Two and League One clubs to take him on. And uh, whilst I'm not saying race is the only thing that comes into it, you, you do wonder how he would be perceived by by chairmans and clubs up and down the league, the football league and Premier League ladder if he was if he was white. You know what I mean? Maybe, maybe, as you said, he'd be viewed as more intelligent than he is now. But Yeah, yeah and even when you look at it, that, um, you know, you've got uh, managers like Lampard and Gerrard that have been fast-tracked. Don't get me wrong, I have no pro- problem with that. I'm, I'm happy to see them both landing big jobs. But then um, yeah. Sol Campbell was at Macclesfield who were literally rock bottom of the, of the 92 clubs in the football league. And um, he managed to keep them up. He did a great job in keeping them up with the help of Andy Cole, another black person um, who, right. who worked for free. So... Yeah. Um, yeah, so, you know, if he was afforded the opportunity of, of getting Derby as one of his first jobs, who knows where he'd be? Yeah, so, yeah, I think I completely agree. I think it's just we're at a point now where a kind of crux point in society and football's a reflection of society. I think people have, having a people seat... Have had enough. Yeah, people, it is enough. It's, an, it, we, we, it's been enough of having, having enough, but it's yeah. a point where having a seat at the table 
isn't good enough. You know, the fact that we, on the whole, our players aren't having bananas thrown at them and those kind of things, that's not good enough to to be, that's the point. And I hear, they're not, I'm kind of going off on a tangent in terms of wider society, but often you hear people say, oh, we you know, look at Britain, at least it's not America. And that's basically saying, oh, well, you know, being black probably isn't going to get you shot. That's not, that shouldn't be the, Kind of line we draw, and and yeah, and fact, say that's that's good enough. It, 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 it's, sometimes should... it gets into some weird race to the bottom. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, completely. We're bad, but we're not that bad, so you should be grateful. Which obviously is 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 ridiculous. Yeah. So so I I but just yeah. think yeah with, with with that when we're when we're at a point which we need to get we need to get to when we have the representation that felt was from from players on the pitch to to managers as well. We'll, we'll then see, you know, these these black managers have a chance and improve their worth, as I'm, I'm sure they will, as they did on the pitch when they when they're in the, the, the dugout as well. Yeah, yeah, and, and on a positive note, um, we do seem to have a manager of the national team that that seems very supportive. He, I know he's put out quotes recently, and even on the whole, you know, the Barkle when England were going to play in Eastern Europe. I can't remember the specific countries now, but Bulgaria Bulgaria, I think Bulgaria, was a good one, yeah. And he was he, he was quite vocal in his support of walking off the pitch and like that, that's I'm not I'm not saying that's everything, but obviously that's a step forward in it and it is it is important and good to have a leader in a national team to, to be like that. And I, I, even after that as well, I think the chief of the FA um he did an interview and he also acknowledged that there's a lot of work to do here at home. So, so yeah, a lot of work to be done. And, and part the first step is people acknowledging that. So, so there is there are some positives, and hopefully we we take them forward and make everlasting change. Yeah, and last point on that. Just um, I'm glad we're having this this discussion, and this is going to come out probably about a couple of weeks after we've we've had it really. Um, so it mm. keeps people still thinking about it even long after it's sort of trending. Yeah, yeah. This isn't. It's not a matter to be dropped, really. This is steady reality for a lot of people, so including including us three. So, so <laughs> it's got quite serious. Let's take out some of the seriousness um, and let's get back to England at our country. And again, so we're going to be airing about England's golden generation. The manner in which we're going to structure this is, I, I think, firstly, let's agree on the time frame. So. We've spoken about this, and for us, England's golden generation, I mean, well, quote-unquote, is probably that 2002 to the 2006 period. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I think if, if ever you need a sort of curtain or a kind of finisher on, on a, <laughs> on a generation, yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's losing at home in your national stadium in the pissing rain in October with a geezer with that little island on his head that should have gone way back in probably the 90s, just a capitulation of a team. You knew by 2008, when we didn't even feature in that tournament, that golden generation was over. So it's kind of figuring out, guess where it began, where it peaked, and and what went wrong, really. Okay, cool. So, you know what? It's funny you say that about this night in October, because... And, and how that signifies the end of a regime and the end and, and the drawing of a curtain, because that's where we're going to start today. So I'm going to cover, I'll start with 2002, uh, that the 2002 World Cup and what I think about England then and our so-called generation then and, and how we fared. And, and, and if we if we lived up to that golden generation label, 
or rather if that Jordan Golden Generation label came quite prematurely. But yeah, in, in October 2000, um, that was Kevin Keegan's last game for England, actually. And that's where we lost at home to Germany in the last game at the old Wembley Stadium. So October seemed to be quite important for us. And then and then Sven comes in. <laughs> Sven, you're an Ericsson. So to be fair, you know, I can't remember his appointment, admittedly. I mean, was I like seven years old, maybe younger, six, maybe. But what I can say is, is from then, or generally how I feel, I always feel funny about foreign appointments of a national team. And I, and I think you, you'll agree, Louis, because I'm not your like. But for me, a national team is a representation of everything, like the best that country has to offer. Like, it doesn't, like, how can all the personnel, the players, be English and then... And it's funny because this sounds quite xenophobic given what we've been talking about earlier. But for me, international football, the whole point of it is that you have the best people from that nation representing you on the world stage. I'd agree with that, actually. I think, um, yeah, it just make, it makes no sense that you, you can't have a Spanish bloke just stuck in the middle of the, the of the midfield. Do you know what I mean? So why why is it that you can have a manager that <laughs> that doesn't come from the same country it's supposed to be the best of your own country but um i guess the rules are the rules <laughs> it just it doesn't make sense but uh, i hear yeah. what you're saying completely no i do i do agree with that and, and for me that's not a slight on on sven or on the fa for appointing him if they thought he was the best man for the job and he was passionate about doing the job then fair enough but i just think as a rule it's a little bit odd yeah as, as you said Darnell, you know it's not like you get one bloke who can come from Spain to stick him in the midfield? So why is that the rule with the manager? It's got to be the best that that country can offer, and it just seems a bit um, strange that that's yeah. that that's the case. And the kind of again going into sort of other sort of social issues to a degree. But if if you think about kind of maybe lesser countries who or, or smaller countries, should I say, um, you, they could maybe be slighted by not having their own managers given a chance on on larger larger stages so when you've got teams that qualify for tournaments um but they might have foreign managers there so then they their their own haven't really had a chance to sort of shine i think it's just weird from a rules point of view i'm not, I'm not sure what it's like in other sports but yeah i, I think it's a bit strange but yeah not, not you've got yeah. to pick the best man for the job given the rules that are in place i guess yeah i agree yeah you've got to pick the best man for the job and, and it's no slight on Sven or or anyone of a foreign nationality, but yeah, it, it is strange to me. But yeah, so yeah, so Sven came in. We'd we'd lost to Germany. We drew nil nil at Finland. So that's two of our. Don't know how many games it was in the qualifying group, but that's that's two games, no wins. Kevin Keegan departed. Sven comes in, and I think so. It wasn't just us. I think there, again, this was the first foreign manager of the England national team ever. So the press at the time are on this as well. Um, but Sven actually ended up doing really well, actually. And it's probably our biggest game, or our best game anyway, of since the turn of the millennium uh, he was in charge for when we beat Germany 5-1 uh, in Germany. Uh, and funnily enough, I still actually remember this game. I remember them taking the lead, Germany. There was that younger guy, because I remember him because he, he was bald, or pretty much bald anyway. <laughs> I've always had a thing with baldies. So I remember, I remember <laughs> him scoring. And then I remember us coming back 5-1. I distinctly remember Gerard's goal, just like, the chest and the half volley. Um, so things were going quite well for Sven anyway, until our last game of the qualifying group, which was against Greece at Old Trafford. We take the lead. We go down 2-1. We're going to have to 
try get in through the playoffs into the World Cup. Up steps David Beckham, 93rd minute, top bins, does like the star celebration. He's the man. And I think for him as well, this was this was a moment of redemption. Because in the 98 World Cup, obviously, he had the sending off incident, which I didn't really, maybe for our generation, but we were too young to remember that. So for me, growing up, Beckham was always kind of the hero. Like He was always the guy like you tried to take a free kick like. So for me, that kind of just like, emphasized his hero status it wasn't really much redemption for me I, I never i didn't really experience him as this hated figure but but looking back on that game now and the manner in which we played and the fact we were 2-1 down at home to greece it probably sort of served as a bit of a reality check but i think if anything it probably had the opposite effect and made us feel a bit invincible particularly under sven the new manager and, and the way in which we'd beaten germany already yeah, I think, weirdly, I mean, this is kind of completely anecdotal rather than bringing any stats behind it. But I kind of feel like when a team, maybe not, maybe limp over the line is a bit strong, but when a team sort of struggles and gets their mistakes and then knocks out and qualifying, I always feel that puts you in better stead for the actual tournament. When a team just blow everyone away and qualifies. I disagree, bro. I actually disagree. I, th- I think I think we're, we're, we're saying that looking at England only and because we've always blown qualified. We've always kind of, apart from 08, just, blown all the qualifiers away easily and flopped in and flopped in the actual main uh, tournaments we're thinking that maybe we're not putting good steed but I reckon most of the teams that have gone on to win World Cups and Euros have completely dominated their qualifying as well I, don't, I, I think maybe somewhere the bit, I'm not saying you know you want to be going down to the last the last kick in injury time to, to, to pull it back but I think um, ha- having having some sort of being tested early, you don't want to just have a canter and then when you get to the kind of yeah, but all the all the teams that end up winning it usually have a canter because they usually seeded anyway, and that means they usually, especially in the World Cup where actually all the Euro qualify or the World Cup. I don't know what the numbers are for European countries getting in the World Cup, but they're smaller than the Euros, aren't they? So yeah, you always end up in a group where all the big teams largely win all of their games. I don't know why we were in the same group as Germany, actually. Maybe because we, we flopped in Euro 2000 and and, not, and World Cup night. Yeah, we didn't get I'm very not, far. I'm not sure that Germany even qualified for Euro 2000, so that could be it. Okay, that might be it. All right, but nevertheless, I'll, I'll, go, I'll go straight on to the World Cup. So let me set the scene a little bit. 2002, summertime. Beaches are popping in Margate and Brighton. Arsenal just won the league on the Arsene Wenger. The double. Gold kit. <laughs> Won the Premier League at Old Trafford, Sylvan Wootled, Sogo, silenced the library. We scored in every away game that's that year as well. Where else are you going to cut all this out? Is pod, is it? Is it England pod? All that's getting cut off. <laughs> <laughs> all right, cool. Um, and then Champions League, actually, Real Madrid won it. I think that this was the year Zidane scored that volley. You know what's weird? When I say World Cup 2002, it doesn't seem that long ago. But like maybe because it's every four years, it's only like four or whatever World Cups ago. But when I say like, like when I was just talking about the league in O2 and the Champions League in O2, that that genuinely seems like a lifetime ago. Yeah, I don't know about you. Yeah. Like, two thousand and two was definitely the first World Cup I remember. I think there's something kind Insane. of just mesmerising about the first World Cup. Just everything was just crazy. Like football just took on another level. It went global. I mean, obviously it's kind of closing the name but just everything about it the whole world sort of stopped and I, I was used to sort of 
a big proportion of you know the the people that I knew going to football on Saturday and, do, and doing all of that but then it kind of went from that to kind of everyone is interested now like when England are playing everyone yeah. stops even the yeah, people fact. who through the season are sort of moaning about it or whatever the World yeah. Cup I don't care what anyone says Olympics anything like that it's the biggest it's the biggest thing on earth bar none and it, 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 being like an eight-year-old remembering that in, in 02 was was mad yeah, everything's a bit more magical when you're a kid as well isn't it just, just genuinely mm. so but yeah so we we, we we go into the world cup south korea and japan i think it was quite sick being in asia as well like even though i wasn't young enough to properly appreciate it i, I could still appreciate it enough that it was on the other side of the world and you had to wake up early to watch the matches in school i think i think all these little things just make it a bit more like special and seem like just a, a big a bit more of a madness do you know what i mean oh yeah 100 percent. yeah i still remember I mean, we'll get into the later stages i guess we'll leave you to talk about it but you know going to school i think I, some of the games i watched the first half at home and then the second half in the school hall and all that yeah. was a bit weird yeah all these games in, in strange times it was yeah. just another something that differentiated it from your kind of bread and butter football on a saturday to being something completely a different animal yeah yeah agree agree all right, so going into the World Cup, England had... We had a few injuries, actually. So Steven Gerrard got injured, Kieran, Kieran Dyer did, uh, Gary Neville was injured. Beckham actually broke his metatarsal going into the tournament. Um, well, when I say going in, earlier on in the season. and You know how now we have these like words of the year? I don't know if you know that. So like I think Brexit was one, Selfie was one, when everyone started getting camera phones. Um, I don't know what the last few have been, but there's always like a word of the year. So I think metatarsal might have been word of the year that year, because when Beckham broke the bone in his toe, everyone everyone found out um, what the metatarsal was. I'm not surprised that that was massive at the time. Yeah, I, I remember know, that, it being massive. I remember and people, about it, innit? people were talking about like the boots and all this and what <laughs> yeah, kind of yeah, caused yeah. it. And but didn't didn't Rooney do his metatarsal? So it was Rooney done the same bone in his toe um, a couple of years later. I think that was maybe it was 06. 2000. You're, you know, you're right. You're right. It was against. It was during the Portugal game. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. That was it. Yeah, and yeah, and they were talking about the boots and the design and all these things. And maybe Owen did something similar as well. But I think it was Beckham kind of started off the trend, and then yeah, like other aspects of his life, I guess people followed suit, and then it was the metatarsal was kind of born. Yeah. No, in fact, yeah. Rooney did get so, injured during that game, but I think he actually he might have done that metatarsal before the yeah. World Cup in two thousand and six. I seem to, yeah, did, yeah. I see, I seem to remember at, near the end of the yeah. season playing at Chelsea and Rooney getting injured, like before, definitely before a tournament when Paulo yeah, Ferreira was the game. And everyone kind of was, was like, <gasps> "Yeah, no, I think you're definitely right. It was, it was against Chelsea." I remember there was like a collective like I think the camera panned to some Chelsea fans and even there were a bit like yeah. you don't know how to react. <laughs> so yeah, Owen Michael Owen had been the Ballon d'Or winner in two thousand and one. What I'm trying to do is set out the squad. So so we had a few players injured, big players injured, but we also had like quite a lot of decent players in. So Michael Owen, the game Ballon d'Or winner. We had Premier League winners in there. People that just won the Premier League: Sol Campbell, uh, David Seaman. Ashley Cole, we had Rio Ferdinand, admittedly, um, just before he joined United, but but still like, a very exciting young prospect at, at Leeds. We also had like a few issues going into the tournament, publicity-wise, as always with England. So Ericsson, 
was busy cheating on his missus <laughs> with Rika <laughs> Johnson. He, he was pretty fit, so uh, I could see why he was tempted. Not that I'd ever do such a thing. <laughs> I have to say, I have to say it myself. <laughs> Oh, well, shit. He's listening. Uh, <laughs> Steve, Steve McManaman didn't make the team, even though he, he won the Champions League with Real Madrid that year. So when the tournament came around, we were actually in the group of death with Sweden, Nigeria and Argentina. So Sweden, our first again, game. Is... Say, again, that's just weird how, like, so all the Swedes are at home. They're watching their <laughs> yes. team come out. The national anthem's on. Kind of the, uh, the, pan, the, the camera must have panned to, to Spain and he's thinking, I know the words here, but... I don't know, do I sing God Save the Queen? Or do I sing whatever, whatever the Swedish national anthem is? That is strange. It is really strange. Agree, agree. Yeah, maybe that had something to do with us not winning the game. We drew one all. I remember Sol Campbell scoring here. And then a big game came up against Argentina. And I think, I think at this point, there was obviously loads of talk in the press. Argentina are like nemesis apart from Germany, like Falklands, fucking Hand of God. Uh, the, the World Cup 98. So all this kind of talk and pressure going into the game. And then Beckham, sorry, I didn't even finish that, but Beckham makes the squad, plays in the game, scores the winning penalty. It's fucking shit pen. Probably the worst yeah. I've ever seen. It's gone in. But yeah, yeah, but that's it. Just get it on target. That's what I always think about a penalty. Just give yourself yeah. half a chance. It was a shocking penalty. But yeah. you just, you keep yourself in the hunt and yeah, it went in. Yeah, facts. So we win that massive game and it looks like we're all set and we're looking quite good as well after that game. I think we actually played well throughout the whole game. Last game in the group, we got Nigeria, my motherland. It's funny because this was the day I kind of realised like where my loyalties lie. <laughs> and I remember watching this one in school as well, early in school. And a lot of the other like, black lads who were of Nigerian descent supported Nigeria. But you know how like you can't really help like what you choose to support and believe. But I was just like, no, nah, I'm supporting England. <laughs> I remember getting rinsed for it. But but I think we drew that game nil-nil, actually, and, and we weren't particularly good. So I think expectations kind of was like, mm, maybe this team isn't quite ready yet. Maybe they're not the golden generation just yet. And then next round, we played Denmark, who had beaten France, actually, because France got dumped out of the tournament really early. And, and Denmark looks quite good, but we just brushed them aside. It was like three 0 It was quite an easy game. And to be honest, I don't, I don't actually remember it. I've rewatched it, but, but none of it's actually in my memory. And I think that's just because it was so pissed for us. And then quarterfinals against Brazil. So I remember watching this game as well. I, th- I think I'm, I also watched this in school. And Owen puts us in the lead quite early in the game. And in my head, my young my young brain, I'm thinking, we're going to do this. It's on. And maybe at that age, especially because I only really watched the Premier League, I knew the Dons, Ronaldo, Rivaldo, and Ronaldinho. But I didn't know them particularly well, especially because Champions League wasn't broadcast like it is now. Do you know what I mean? It was only like the odd game that, that an English team were playing in on the Tuesday night or whatever on ITV. So I didn't I didn't realise how, how much, like, but, but I didn't realise the God the god that was in these ballers and as soon as we took the lead they just kind of took us apart and then obviously Ronaldinho lobbed Seaman um Seaman's crying at the end of the game I'm crying afterwards and that was that so I, I think to conclude actually I think this team when we're talking about the golden generation I, I don't think this was the golden generation just yet I think I spoke about some of the injuries we had going into the tournament I think this team was slightly inexperienced as well and it's kind of a team in transition when Sven came in Shearer had uh, was just departing. Paul Ince was departing. Tony Adams. There was a few additional players as well. I think Sheringham was in the squad, but he didn't play much. 
them in this World Cup. And and, and our opening game against Sweden, uh, five of the players had never actually uh, played in a World Cup game before. That's of, of the 13 that played. And as I said, no Gerard Lampard hadn't become the player he was. This was Ferdinand before United. So again, I, I still think this was a team in transition. And, and not only that, we played and lost against the World Cup winners that year. So, so I don't think when people look back on it and say, "Well, why didn't England win anything in that in that time?" and specifically when they look at 2002, I think again, as I said, firstly, this was a team in transition. We didn't really have the ballers um, that we did in 04 and 06, and two, we played the best team in the world who, who went on and just blitz past everyone in that tournament. So it wasn't really ours to win. So I think when we're talking about golden generation, what we what we should be doing is saying, "02 was the team in transition." An 04, an 06, and, and I'll leave you guys to do a 04 and 06, but I think in particular 04, just because it was a Euros and, and the competition was less, and when we look at who won it and the, and the way they won it, I, I really think that was that was our chance to win something, but 02, no chance. Yeah, I think when you're talking about golden generation, maybe if you compare it to England's as of the past, maybe if you compare it to Euro 2000, yeah, England and Germany were in the same group, actually. They, they both didn't qualify for the, for the knockout stages. Yeah, they, they just weren't good enough, but obviously they, they got a lot better. There was a few good young players coming through, players like Rio Ferdinand, et cetera, et cetera. But when you, if you compare it to other teams that were around in the world, you know, France France flopped, but they still had Zidane, they still had Henri, they still had Trezeguet, they were still the European, reigning European champions. They were the World Cup champions until Brazil obviously lifted it. And then, of course, you yeah. look at Brazil, who ended up winning the tournament, Look who they had in their team. They had Cafu at right back, Roberto Carlos at left back, Gilberto Silva in central midfield, and then yeah, a front yeah. three of Ronaldinho, uh, Rivaldo, and Ronaldo. Ronaldo was the top scorer, and if, if I'm not mistaken, until Miroslav Closer took over his record, he yeah. was the top scorer in World Cup history. So, you know, you, you can't really say <laughs> people talk about golden generation. That is a golden generation of players. You know, um, uh, funny enough, I, I think I put on the Twitter the other day, there's four players that have won the Copa Libertadores World Cup and um, the Champions League, and all four of them are in that Brazil team. And, and that's Ronaldinho, Cafu, Dida, and um, Roque Jr. Uh, he kind of messes that one up a little bit. But <laughs> but yeah, I think when, when you're looking at golden generation, you've got to compare it to what, what was about. And Brazil were head and shoulders above England. All right, cool. So on to you, Darnell, and Euro 2004. And do, do you think at that point in time, England had their golden generation and we, we almost had a right to, to bring the trophy home? Or do you, or do you think not, not really? There were other fa- factors that we need to consider. Yeah, I mean, for me, when I look at um, golden generations, um, I think it's best to look at it a little bit more in depth as opposed to just looking at the players, because obviously... I would say, yeah, the 2004 squad was better than the 2002 squad. Definitely, yeah. um, players would come into their own. Players like Frank Lampard, Gerard, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But if you you can look around, if you you can look at Portugal, who Porto just won the Champions League. P- people need to remember that Deco, Ferreira, Carvalho, Manish, those are the kind of players that were in that side. France had Zidane, Henri, Czech Republic had Poborski, Rosicky, and Nedved. So. There were good players all around Europe. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Of course, Brazil are not in the Euros. So then teams like Brazil sorry, are not in the Euros. So then you get a better chance of winning it and there's less teams. But going into it, I think this was a turning point for me around this time period in football. And I say that yeah. because if you look at the team that won the Champions League, Porto, 
and the system that they play. They play the sort of four three three, but a very sort of defensive three. You know, just the players that will do the dirty work in the midfield, and then they still had the ability as well, like Deco. You know, Deco was was the perfect mix of of grit and and class um, on the ball. The way we played, we played like a four four two, and so so really a lot of my blame is on Sven. Do you think you're being harsh by criticising Sven for adopting the four four two? I think particularly as at the time we had Michael Owen and Wayne Rooney. No, I mean, listen. What I think, if as I go on, you're you're going to sort of get a picture of the story when mm. it comes to the to the formations. I think football was stuck between four four two and a and a four five one. Um, England were definitely stuck in a four four two at that point. Um, it was only until the following season, when uh, or the start a few months later, really, when Mourinho and and Rafa Benitez came in, and that's when teams started playing four three three, four five one, or or whatever. So. Mm. But if you look at the personnel that England had, and I yeah. think this is this was the problem that England were too rigid at times. Under Sven, we were just too rigid. So the, I can kind of I, I can kind of understand. Like, so he played like a defensive formation, a defensive four four two. We just sat back, soaked up pressure, tried to counter attack. But and I can understand why he didn't want to like sort of go out all out attacking because when you got a midfield duo of Gerard and Lampard there's not enough of that sort of defensive nous and defensive grit for one of them to just say look I'm a, I'm a hang back you go and do the attacking I think they both especially they were a bit younger at the time as well they both wanted to just go and join in score goals do all the Hollywood stuff so I can understand why he played a negative formation but I think if you're going to do that you've got to I think it would have just changed things if he said do you know what bring in Hargreaves drop Owen um, or drop Rooney you just have to be brave, make these decisions, and then um, play Hargreaves, Lampard, Gerrard as the two eights, and then um, find someone to play on the left wing. And then all of a sudden, you're you're probably looking at a lot stronger midfield. And I think Sven's stubbornness in in not changing things and not sort of moving into the to the new world, new footballing world as it's. Um, as it is, is also the way that he never subbed players off. I think when we played Portugal in the quarterfinals, um, he subbed off Beckham. No, sorry, um, Scolari subbed off Figo and brought in Reeve Costa. Um, and Figo is obviously like the, probably the, the biggest name in the team at the time. Yeah. David, whilst David Beckham was probably putting in a three, four out of ten performance, and after the game, I think Ericsson even said he didn't even think about taking him off. <laughs> and then you can miss the pen as well. Beckham missed the pen as well. And going back to that pen, that's another thing. Again, England being too rigid. The first game, the reason why England played Portugal is because they lost that first game against France. Beckham yeah, took a penalty. Yeah. <laughs> Beckham took a penalty, could have gone 2 0 up when you've got Frank Lampard. Beckham had missed, I think, one or two penalties before that for England. You've got yeah. Frank Lampard that that is in the side. This guy, I, I can't actually physically remember i know he has done but i can't physically remember frank lampard missing a penalty in my life so mm. i think that's the man to take the penalty there's two there was two we weren't interchangeable enough and then it was in all aspects of the game and i think i've named sort of three different aspects there and then so your um, mainly <laughs> tactical so are, are you saying you think you know what on reflection year 2004 uh, we probably had the squad to do bits but we basically didn't have the manager with enough technical knowledge to, to make us winners. Yeah, absolutely. That I, I think that 
um, that is certainly the case. And if you look at it as well, the team that won it, Greece, obviously. Part of the reason I say it's tactical as well is because I think a lot of teams made that mistake. France played 4-4-2. Um, all right, so in the last eight, there were there were four teams that played against them. There were four teams that played um, 4-5-1 slash 4-3-3 and then four teams that played some variation of 4-4-2. Uh, two played a diamond and, and um, two played like a flat 4-4-2. And three of the 4-5-1s won the game. So so Holland beat Sweden's 4-4-2, Greece beat France's 4-4-2, and Portugal beat England's 4-4-2. And the only team that ended up losing were um, Denmark uh, to, to the Czech Republic, who played a wide diamond who played a wide diamond. So I think that was the era of maybe tactical elements needing to to sort of progress. Yeah, to elevate elevate you to 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 win the tournament. And Greece, they played that four four uh four three three very effectively. And um it was Otto um Rehagel's team, the the German coach, and he ended up you, you know, we talk about Greece like maybe fluking the tournament. They didn't fluke it. I mean, it, it's, <laughs> there were times where it was very convincing in in the way that they defended and and the tactics that they used and and how they yeah. deployed certain players to to win the tournament. And I, and I think that's a key factor as to why England didn't progress. And to be honest, why other teams as well didn't progress because, like I said, Greece beat France, Greece beat the Czech Republic as well, and, and it was all teams that played four four two that that they managed to beat so yeah it's definitely the tactical element of it that for me that was the key factor okay okay cool so it seems like yeah so as i said it seems like what we're saying in terms of personnel in the squad that was probably our or a golden generation and and if we had just one more element that being the manager that had the tactical capabilities and knowledge we could have elevated to the next level and, and challenged beyond what we did in this tournament it's funny enough that you mentioned Greece beating France because um, in in the quarters because obviously had we won that game against against France and, and we probably should have done as you said we should have gone two 0 up and the game would have been dead set and buried and and even though even not going two 0 up we conceded both our goals both might be after the eighty fifth minute yeah they were both after the ninetieth minute and um... both, yeah I remember both the free kick and and the penalty. Yeah, and it's because we soaked up pressure. It's like you play a four-four-two. You got uh, Skulls playing on the left. You got Lampard. You're you're wasting players. Like in you got a, a player like Skulls who could probably help you dominate the midfield. You're playing them on the left, so then we had no control of the game. Pressures applied, and then you got players like. <clears throat> I'm sorry to say, but Gerard in big games, he had a habit of doing it where he'd make a he'd make a no, big I'm not, mistake. I'm not sorry, bro. He, he's done it so many <laughs> times, bro. Yeah, he has, and and it's it's something that's in this game. And as a manager, you should know that this is going to happen. Like these things could happen, and you've got to nullify that. Not make Gerard your deepest man in midfield when he he has that in him, where he, he played that back pass to James, and and obviously uh, Omri's latched onto it. So um, yeah, he's done it. He did it <laughs> again to Omri for Liverpool. Like, and then obviously the most most recently where he <laughs> lost them the league. Oh, so fucking let it slip. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right, cool. So two thousand and four. That that's that settled. Golden generation. Not enough tactical tactical nous to progress. Louis, what are we saying then going on to the two thousand and six World Cup? you know, there, there's some as I did with O two, there were some positives to take from two thousand and four. And I think probably mainly Wayne Rooney, who like bossed the tournament. I can't really yeah, think of any positives apart from that either. <laughs> he just sort of burst on the scene and it was kind of 
like this guy, which we all remember the, the goal against Arsenal and the whole remember the name sort you of thing. You had to do that, innit? We're no, talking no, no, about England. no, we're talking about England, bro. You're trying to. No, no, I, 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 shit. It's just, it, it's leading on to what I'm saying. How many players have we heard remember the name or this is the next Messi, this is the next this, this is the next that, and they didn't deliver? Since since Rooney scored that scored that goal, he was the guy to look out for, and he's pretty much delivered on every single test and stage that he's been given since. And 2004, he just kicked on and kind of set the world alight. And it was an animal, innit? I think I think Darnell says this in the last pod. He was he was a typical scouse lad, like the way you play. Yeah, like, he was just and yeah, animal. Yeah. Just saying, yeah, he 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 plays the same way <laughs> on a on an, his first international tournament at what the age of. 18, 19, the same way you're playing probably on a car park, some somewhere in the back end of like some some street in Liverpool. So yeah, that was it. And I kind of just to go on to 2006, why I really think this was the time for that golden generation to deliver. You know, they we, had should, that. we should have come back with the Jules Ramey. Yeah, if 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 not now, if not in 2006, then when? Because you had that 2002 where the players were there personnel wise. Maybe they were a bit young, a bit inexperienced. And that Brazil team was so good, who they lost to, and they, they held a candle to them. You had 2004 when you had players like Rooney who burst on the scene and kind of got their got their international sort of bow out of the way. And then they, they you come back in, in 2006 and you, you look at that squad and it's just everywhere. You've you just got ballers, you know, like... Look, looking at that defence, so you, you've got Neville, Cole, Terry, Rio, you know, Neville's 31, the rest of them, they're in their mid-20s. That's impenetrable. Like Lampard and Gerrard yeah. at the peak of their powers. Lampard and Gerrard came second and third in Ballon d'Or to Ronaldinho when he had that alien season, you know. Like our midfield was was incredible. And um, you had Beckham, who was the sort of senior figure in the squad, who'd been there and done it, won everything he could in England and had then gone out and got his big move to Real Madrid to sort of captain them and, and bring those players up to the fore. Owen, who was again sort of still doing doing his thing. He he was in his mid twenties at, at the time. I feel that was the time for for the team to to really kick on, get over their failings. Those players had come of age and that, that should have been their time really. So why didn't it happen then? Well, you, you look, you look at it, and you look at what. <laughs> I mean, that's that's the question, really, isn't it? You, you look at how the team came into the into the game, and I think you know we sort of disagreed about it slightly earlier. But I think you had the perfect qualifying. I don't think you want to you blow teams away and win win all ten games. But they won eight, drew one, lost one, which I think is there or thereabouts for me. Where you want to be, getting the job done, winning the group, getting your your good seed in, but maybe ironing out a few of those mistakes. Maybe you've, you've tried out a few players and made decisions on. I do still look back and think it was a very strange decision by Sven to put Walcott in that squad ahead of Sean Wright Phillips. Um, no, it, wasn't, it wasn't Wright Phillips. He, he put him ahead of someone like um, Darren Bent. Well, I think I mean, it was no, intention to take Jermaine Defoe did it. Darren Bent was like the best um, scoring English rocker that wasn't in the team anyway. Yeah, that was it as well. So it's whether he's going to take an extra midfielder, extra striker. I think it was a very weird decision to put him in there. And I almost feel like, to Darnell's point earlier about Sven being a bit too rigid, not not thinking outside the box enough, I do wonder whether that was kind of 
him overcompensating there. It was strange. You know, he did, I don't think he played a minute in the tournament. I just feel like, look, and that's not the difference for me between England winning it and not winning it. But I think it was just a weird call at the time for Sven to do that. But anyway, look, going, going back to the tournament itself, qualified from, from the group well, edged past Paraguay, managed to, to turn over Trinidad and Tobago in the end with, with Crouch scoring that goal where he used the, the defender's dreads as a, as a ladder and then, and then Gerard smashed it in the top bin. Um, Apparently he was he was hated in Trinidad for a bit because <laughs> of that. Uh, Crouchy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was check, um, out, check out check out Naughty Forty Insta actually. We, we got that photo up. That's yeah, like, yeah. Like, not like, <laughs> I, I can let him to a dread. Yeah. <laughs> you're six for seven and you're still grabbing man's dread to, to to score a goal. But um, but yeah, got got through that and then there was that game, another one against Sweden where Sven didn't know which national anthem to to sing, but. Joe Cole, who just had the season of his life, scored Sco- that absolute screamer. Just, banger. Yeah, absolute banger. Rude. Rude. Naughty. Yeah, naughty. That was naughty. That was naughty. That, that, that defines yeah. naughty. That's naughty foot. That's the, the embodiment of naughty footy. Trust me, trust me. So, yeah, you, you sort of, you, you cruise through the groups or you win the group anyway, comfortably, a draw and a, a win and a, two wins, sorry, and a draw. And then I think you're looking at the squads that are around there. And I think I think that World Cup was really a story of, of midfields. I think if you look at the, the latter stages of the tournament, there weren't many huge goals from strikers. I don't think there were goals from strikers in the final or, or either the semis. And, and you look at it, France, who were really, on the whole, quite an ageing team, but they had the midfield of, of Zidane, Makaleli and Vieira. I really think if, if Skulls had gone to that tournament, having Lampard, Gerrard and Skulls in the midfield would have been massive. And I think that's a, that's a complete tragedy that through a combination of probably Sven pissing him off by putting him on the left wing and Fergie getting in his ear about saving his legs for Man United, the fact that Paul Skulls retired at 29 was just mm. shocking in terms, in terms of England. As good as yeah. that side was, how I, I, I don't really know how that was allowed to happen. And, and that really looking back is so frustrating. Do you know what? Yeah, though, that kind of links to what Dom's was saying earlier, though, because I reckon if if we had him in, um, in the team, again, maybe that would have forced Sven's hand. Uh, well, you'd like to think it would, but but it, it probably wouldn't have. But it should have done anyway. Forced Sven's hand into making a tactical switch, because when your midfield trio is that strong, you think yeah. maybe I need to use this to my advantage instead of like sticking people out in position. But, but he he by this point though, he had made made a tactical switch. I think the world of football. Would, had changed, it's gone through the change that I was talking about yeah. that started sort of with Porter winning the Champions League. And and, yeah, I mean, Hargreaves, I, I remember Hargreaves being England's probably their player of the tournament. I think Hargreaves he played in the yeah, midfield. Yeah, but he, yeah. Was still, he was still playing two up front, weren't he? No, no, Rooney, Rooney played up front in the Portugal eight game anyway. I'm thinking that's the that's the game that I remember the most, and, I, and Rooney played up front on his own. Um, he played up front on his own. Joe Cole was on the left, and and Hargreaves was in the middle with um, Lampard and Gerrard. I think when you do look at it, though, um, you know, like you said, funny, I think. Funny enough, I think in that Portugal game we were two. Uh, I think that in that game we were two 
defensive. I think we're too cautious. This this is the problem, and and that's why I yeah. said it was, it was it was a combination tactically in 2004 of negativity plus the 4-4-2. Now you you've got the 4-5-1 call. Let's go on, and Hargreaves can sit in front of the defense. We've got a good attacking left back in Ashley Cole, and then maybe you've got a bit of balance on the right hand side with with Neville, who's who's not going to get up and down the pitch as much. Um, Go, go for it, you know. Um, but I think, again, it was just too negative. And, and I think as well, that another factor that none of us have mentioned is mentality. I think the biggest, in my opinion, I don't, obviously I don't know, I'm not Sven, but the biggest reason why he took Theo Walcott to that tournament is because he wanted to take the pressure off Wayne Rooney because obviously he'd gone into the tournament injured and there was just all this talk, is he ready, is he this, is he that? All of a sudden, everyone's talking about Walcott now. So yeah. I think that is, that's the reason. Awesome. He he never had any intention of putting Walker on the pitch. The guy had not kicked a ball for Arsenal and we'd signed him six months earlier. Um, yeah. So um, I think it, it, that goes to show the mentality of the team, really, that, that it, maybe it wasn't all there. Like they, they wanted to take the pressure off and they had to you know send it somewhere else to a player that wasn't going to play. Yeah, that's a good point. That is a good point. But it, seems, it still seems like then what we're saying is, and even more so than 2004, the personnel that we had... In 2006, I mean, I'm looking at the starting lineup now. Paul Robinson, Genev, Rio, JT, Hargreaves, Cole, Ashley Cole, David Beckham, Joe Cole, Stephen Gerald, Frank Lampard, Wayne Rooney. Um, it seems like the personnel then, and not only that, just where all those players were in their careers at that specific point in time, should really have progressed uh, beyond the quarterfinals. And we're probably good enough to beat these, this Portugal side. Are we no, saying that? But then it I comes agree. to. It, I, think, I think when you're talking about mentality, I think, again, it sounds like we've slated Sven a lot in this pod, but I think the mentality of those players are there. All of those players, you look at that team that started against Portugal, right? Yeah. Where you're looking at Neville, Terry, Ferdinand, Cole, Hargreaves, Beckham, Gerrard, Lampard, Cole did Rooney. Nine of those 11 starters are all Champions League winners. You know, they, they're all... You know the majority Champions of them. Champions League again, now, but they were. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, but but I think I think they had it in them at the time. I think when yeah. you're talking about, I think I think the the manager. You know, we're all saying we always talk about how valuable experience is and all and all this and all that. At some point, you've got to get your first experience. You've got to taste your first trophy. I think those players all had it in them. You know, so if Sven has gone right, I'll take I'll, I'll take I'll take Walcott to take the pressure off Rooney, right? Maybe you should have just said to Rooney, "Yeah, everyone is dependent on you. You're the man. Make like prove you're the man." Do you think he wouldn't have done that? Do you think if, if Fergie said that to him, he didn't? He didn't do that. So I, I think sometimes it's about backing your players. Um, and I think if those players are given a time to sort of shine for their own merit, and again, it it all kind of intertwines because then you've got the thing about the formation where England historically have have gone right this this is the system let's now put some players in it whereas without looking at the players the individuals the talent and then building a team around that that England yeah. team were good enough on the pitch in their well, head they, they they've all done it and I think especially that Portugal game I think that was so well set up it was like a fucking movie script for revenge to come back yeah. and 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 yeah we played too defensive we should have gone for the juggler from minute well, one well, 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 even that, no, even if we talk that, about I, I, I think I, I think I might have been a bit harsh, obviously, because th- this was obviously the game where Rooney gets sent off, isn't it? And Ronaldo winks yeah. as, he, as he walks off but the pitch. So. But this is all part of mentality, though, because at the end of the day, yeah, Portugal. Mm. Listen, 
one thing I failed to mention about 2004 is that at that point, Luis Felipe Scolari was a world champion. That like he'd, he'd won the World Cup with Brazil and he's moved to Portugal. Now, 2004, 2006, he's with this Portugal side. Well, yeah. When we talk about mentality, it's not to do with, oh, you know, like we've we've won stuff before we know we can win stuff as individuals it's, it's also about the the darker side of the game and cristiano ronaldo he did whatever it took to win the game he got rooney sent off rooney needed to have the temperament to know do you know what if i kick my man here then i'm gonna get sent off or what did he do i can't even remember what he did he stamped he, he stamped on carvalho didn't he he stamped on carvalho why would he do that do you know what i mean it's, it's the same way even even zidane got a lot of criticism in for france for headbutting um Matarazzi, and he deserves it because he might have been there he took a penalty early in the game and he scored it he might have been there to score a penalty in the in in the penalty shootout and then france could have won that tournament so these are all the things that mentality comes down to and also i think it, you know what you were saying about qualifiers and maybe not wanting to do too well um, and like saving saving your best to the tournament. I think all of that stuff breeds the confidence going into the tournament. If you keep winning games, you know that agree, you're... Agree. Because if you, if you keep... It's, it's almost like you, you go on a run of five, six games in the Premier League and then you go to play um, at the time Man United or Chelsea or Arsenal and you're like, do you know what? We've just beaten West Ham away, this, that, that, that. You're like, do you know what? We can beat Man United, we can beat Arsenal, we can beat it, it just builds that momentum and, and England never had it, it was just too it was too patchy and I, I don't imagine Sven is the most inspiring manager just looking at him, do you know what I mean and, and <laughs> no. so some of some of it comes down to, to language as well maybe if he was speaking um, Italian, like I think his Italian is probably better than his English, he might have been more inspiring to um, what, so what to we the, needed was someone speaking like Cockney rather than slang <laughs> maybe, maybe. No, I'm joking. I mean, let's let's be honest no, here. The no, reason yeah. why no, Sven, point, the reason yeah. the, the reason why Sven um uh, it was the manager is because there weren't any English managers that were good enough. That's the bottom line. So I don't yeah. think any English manager would have done a better necessarily done a better job. But I think um in in terms of mentality and and all of that kind of stuff, it's it's not just to do with oh can can these players um you know, motivate themselves to, to really go and win it. It's more to do with the, the fact that they, they might not even have looked around and thought that they were good enough. And that's because of, of, of a variety of factors that really I've just mentioned. I, I, I think if those players didn't think they were good enough about, you know, with what they were achieving domestically, you know, so many of those players had won the league in the, in the two, in the three, four years previous, you know, um, we had, so, you know, we had. I think England had six semi-finalists in the Champions League, three semi, three finalists in the Champions League in those between those four and those six, those yeah. those years spanning. They they knew they were good enough. They knew they yeah, were good. I do, enough. I do agree. They, with that. they were doing it domestically, but they were doing but, it. Gerard was was when he um, won the Champions League. His midfield partner was Alonso. Lampard's midfield partners were Makelele. Uh, was Makelele? Um, you know, uh, in England, Gerard's midfield partners were Hargreaves and, and and Lampard. I'm not saying that they're bad players, but I'm just saying that at the same time, he doesn't. He might not be looking at Lampard and thinking, "Oh, he's a great player." Do you know what I mean? Like he, he might. Surely he was. No, no, no. <laughs> All right. No, what I'm saying is that when when I say that, I mean just like in terms of there is a, a little bit of a sort of what's the, what's the word like the English 
when we look at English players, we don't necessarily look at them and think, oh, these are the most like, technically gifted players. If I'm being perfectly yeah. honest... I, yeah. I, I, you know, if, I disagree. If, I, I actually disagree. Gerard Lampard <laughs> came second and third to Ronaldinho in the Ballon d'Or that year. There's no way these guys saw each other and, and thought... I wish I was standing next to Digma Haman or Alexis no, Martin. No, I, don't, I, I don't think these players thought that. There, there must be something fundamental... That, that changed or wasn't executed right when it came to but the English it's, side. It's more, it's more to do with balance, though, because it's like if Gerard is looking, if when Gerard plays with Alonso, he knows what he's getting from Alonso, which he doesn't know that he's getting from Lampard or he doesn't know that he's getting from Hargreaves, if if that makes sense. It's like, put it this way, yeah, Gerard's best football for Liverpool came when Alonso was there. When Alonso left, Gerard had like a couple of good spells, but... Let's be let's be real. He was never the same player. So I think he looks at Lampard and he thinks, yeah, he's another great player. But it's like he's can I play thinking, next? yeah, it's like can I play next to him? Because Lampard is probably better suited to Makélélé. Gerard's probably thinking, I need Alonso. Because and then whereas that in Brazil, they're not looking at it like, oh, you know, if then, Ed Milson is, that, is stuck is in the midfield. Manager then, because when you look at some yeah. of the other successful teams, I mean, Spain won the fucking Euros with six midfielders and and, and not playing even a striker in one of the games. But you've also got to remember that Spain they had it was basically a two tier team, two team team, yeah, two yeah. team team where it was yeah. just Barcelona yeah. and Real Madrid. So they, the, whole, the, the whole midfield for for Spain and listen, listen, um, England are not the only t- uh, team that have had issues over the last I don't know 50, 60 years in terms of winning stuff. Spain had the same issue, and then all of yeah. a sudden. Bush gets Iniesta and, and Xavi played together and then they won everything. They all mm. came from the same team. They all know each other. They all had the confidence of winning with each other. So I don't think winning domestically has that sort of impact. L- listen, Gerard didn't look at Lampard and go, oh, he's a bad player, but he's probably thinking, oh, I'm probably, I'd rather be playing with Alonso right now. Not not because maybe Alonso is better than him, but just because um, he, he, you know, he'd rather be playing next to Alonso. That's, that's just the bottom line. So I think so. What we're I think what we're concluding then is you know yeah these these players are sick and and they're performing domestically and they're class but for whatever reason be it tactically be it balancing the team when they put on that England shirt and play together and again I know we can look at that Portugal game and go you know what we're down to ten men and we hung on for nil nil we took it to penalties but but when you look at our performances earlier on in the tournament I can't remember I think we. We beat like Paraguay one 0 because uh, maybe Ecuador as well. Just David Ecuador, Beckham. yeah. We, didn't, we never, we never really got going in that tournament. Trinidad and Tobago. Did we play Trinidad? Yeah, sorry, you mentioned that earlier. Trinidad and Tobago two 0 Gerard's got a banger in that game as well, actually. But we never really got going in that tournament, and so maybe the writing was on the wall already. And but so yeah, I think I think what we're essentially saying is, for whatever reason, these players are wavy. They're sick. But they put on that England shirt and it just, it just, well, for that time being anyway, it just didn't happen. Yeah. And also like having a, a another factor is probably just having that sort of rhythm to, to play in with each other because they, they switched tactics halfway through. I, I don't really know many teams that switched tactics halfway through a tournament. So they, they played 4-4-2 mm-hmm. in the group stages and then they, they flipped to the 4-5-1 because they play in Portugal, which is, I think is the right thing to do, the 4-5-1. But I think if you... You, you almost got to go for it from the start, build that momentum into the tournament. You, you, once you start flipping tactics where you're in a cup competition, I, I just don't think it's going to, or tournament competition, and I don't think it's going to work. Ferdinand's yeah. come out and said things like um, the players, 
particularly the ones that opposing bigger clubs such as United, Chelsea and Arsenal, they they weren't, he said they got on and they spoke and especially because some of them had known each other from the clubs they were at before. But he said there was a bit, like they were, they were still kind of quite separate. It was still a bit like cliquey. You, you I, think this, I, I, I just have zero respect for that. I lost so many, so much respect when I, when I, I seen this for, for guys like Gerard, <laughs> guys like Gerard, Ferdinand, Lampard. It, 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 what these guys do is, but Ferdinand kind of said it as if he said it like I don't, he, it wasn't really a conscious thing at the time. But it's I when don't they care. I, th- it. I think I think you have to consciously say. For me, this England maybe, maybe side, that's the manager as well. Because when you look at something, yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe it is. But sometimes you've got to take personal responsibility. You've got to take personal responsibility and say the season's done domestically. Whatever, who whoever won the league, whoever won the league, we'll go back. We'll we'll, we'll do it. Do you think you're the first good players who play on rival teams to have to go in a side together? Real Madrid and Barcelona are, are you know, hundred-year-old rivals, but they play in the same team. It's only recently they seem to have got over that. You hear stories about the Spain camp as well, and it seems to be only... Yeah, well, but, they made it, but, they, but they made it work. You had, you had PK alongside Ramos, and they won yeah, three no, tournaments no, yeah, in a row. I, I, I think if you, if you can't get over that... As a player, you need to take a long, hard look at yourself. When when you've got all your Premier League medals and your Champions League medals around your neck and you go, you were the best team on paper in 2006 yeah. and you haven't got a World Cup medal, that's your own fault. You can blame... You can to be honest, I think he was being self-critical when he said it. I, I don't I'm think not he saying he wasn't. I'm not, I'm, I'm not saying he wasn't. I, I just... I find it baffling that you... You know, saying it was unconscious, that you, you can't make a, a calculated effort to try and galvanize yourself and and say that 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 we're a team they these are these are age-old problems your rivals during the league season you're then you're then your teammates look at look at that Italy team that won the World Cup in 2006 which for Mm. me they had a lot of great players but compared to the Brazil side that won in 2002 on paper compared to the England side in 2006 they 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 just they were sort of they had a lot of jewels in that side, but but around that, but they just they just got it together. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Players for, from both Milan clubs. You had Juventus players. You had Totti up top. Like all these players that that are at each other's throats week in week out in Serie A. They they kind of that goes by the wayside. And you you could see they were a team. It, it can't be that difficult, you know. Rio, no, you're not. Yeah. They're I, not I, the first players to do that, and and I think that. They, they need to look back and if you go, yeah, we tried our best, we got beaten by the better team, we had bad luck, whatever, that's one thing. But if they didn't do as much as they could to make themselves a proper team, a proper 11 players who are all going to, you know, go to the sword with each other, then they, then they need to look back on that with regret. Yeah, no, you've got, but the thing is, you've got to set up a, a, a kind of camp. And I think that is sort of down to the manager to do so, especially because I think it's more difficult because, listen, like you said, Real Madrid and Barcelona used to, they literally used to fight on the pitch every time they played with each other. And they were very, very divided. You could see PK and, uh, and um, Ramos arguing with each other or Puyo and uh, Ramos arguing with each other, like proper having a go at each other. But then when it came to the national team, it was fine. But really at that point, you're unifying two teams. You've got half the camp that are Barcelona and then you've got half the camp that are um, Real Madrid. So then it's almost a case of the manager just 
brings them together and goes, look, forget what happened. You lot are all winners. Come through. Let's just win something together. But in, in with England, I think it's a bit different because you've got a goalkeeper from from this club. You've got right back from that club, this club, that club, that club. To be honest, I'm even looking at the team now and I'm, I'm, I'm thinking a lot of these players like are all at different clubs. You've got Hargreaves at Bayern Munich, Beckham at Real Madrid, Cole at Arsenal, just about to move to Chelsea, Terry at Chelsea. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's all a bit fragmented. So you really need something to just bring them together. And they're all literally going hammer and tongs at it the whole season against each other. You've probably got the managers playing mind games. Fergie's telling Rooney, oh, you see you see John, Te- uh, John Terry, he's not that good. He's not, do you know what I mean? It, all of that stuff is in your head. So you need to you need to shake it off. And I think having a good manager and a good camp is is what creates that and and I, and I don't think that's necessarily the responsibility of a bunch of 25 year olds to to sort of come to that conclusion and that like work it out for themselves i think it needs an older head and and if you look like i said Scolari was the Brazil manager when they won the World Cup he had the experience of how to deal with a World Cup winning squad all these things um, play a factor all right, cool. So to conclude, when looking at the, the England team that went to South Korea and Japan at the 2002 World Cup, I think it's fair and we'd all agree that that team wasn't England's golden generation. It was on the way to being so, but it wasn't there just yet. It was mainly a team in transition. We didn't have the super talent of, of Wayne Rooney. Frank Lampard wasn't wasn't the player he was. Gerard wasn't the player he was. Ashley Cole wasn't the player he was. Uh, John Terry and Ferdinand hadn't really emerged into the players they were. So so yeah, it was a team really like building onto something great. They weren't there just yet, and and ultimately they they also played the best team in world football at the time, Brazil. So I think I, I think it's unfair to be particularly critical of that of that team. What about 2004, Darnell? Yeah, I think 2004, there were a few good teams. So I wouldn't say England were the best team, but I, I wouldn't say they were necessarily far off. But where where you've got teams that are very close, the tactical elements of the game come come into play. And, and if you look at how, obviously, England went out, it was, it was fine margins, including a refereeing decision we didn't mention, where Sol Campbell scored a goal that was ruled out for a foul, maybe harshly, but again, like you say, it's, it's fine margins. The tactically, if England had maybe gone for it a bit more, played a four-three-three or a four-five-one, it, it may have improved the outcome of the of the game. So, yeah, for overall, I think when you're looking at it, players-wise, yep, yeah, they were up there, but they they weren't outstanding in 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 European football. But in terms of the tactical elements and and the the rest of the squad, meant that they weren't a golden generation as far as I'm concerned. Okay, cool. And last but not least, Louis, 2006, what are your concluding thoughts or remarks? Yeah, I, I think I'd say 2006 was the generation and they were really the, the failed golden generation. I think if you look at the, the sides on paper of that 2006 World Cup, I think England were the best. I, I think the, the side that went there was the best, let alone if we managed to get skulls to come along as well. So I think through some combination of not going for the juggler enough in the Portugal game, um, with not having the camaraderie or managing to break down club borders. Um, you know, especially when you look at the Italy team that, that won the tournament, um, when they had multiple players coming from the same league and different clubs, they just didn't deliver with what with what they should have done. And that those 2002 and 2004 tournaments should have been stepping stones and learning curves for the team to really come and deliver in 2006. And they just didn't. And then, you know, it, it all went tits up from there. And it was, it's been a long road to get back to where we, we'd like to be, you know, 
Gareth Southgate finally bringing us back round in, in 2018, but it was a, it was a dire sort of 14 years yeah, or yeah. 12 years uh, since 2006 when it, when it all went for the so-called golden generation. Yeah, <laughs> bad maths. <laughs> bad maths. Bad maths. All right, cool. That 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 seems clear then. 2006 golden generation, a failed golden generation. So Rio, JT, Ashley, Cashley. Nev, if you guys are listening, just know you flopped us, G. And hopefully Sterling, <laughs> Kane, Mr. Jaden Sancho, hopefully these boys. Sancho. Sancho, my guy. Hopefully these guys like, bring some redemption, bring some pride back in the national team. Reese Nelson, too. Don't get, don't get it twisted. Yeah. This is recorded, so we've got to remember that one, innit? Yeah, just come back to haunt me. Is it, are, you, we, are, are we ever going to get to the next World Cup? What's going to happen? What's going to happen? We're going to have the Euros next year. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah, well, let's concentrate the Euros first. Hopefully, we can win that. But okay. Yeah. Thanks, listeners. Cheers for listening to me, Louis, and Darnell chat about England for over an hour. Hopefully you're not bored to death. See you next week. Wrap. <laughs>